Welcome to episode 28 of That Classical Podcast. This time, ballet. Hello. Hello. My name's Chris Bland. And my name's Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 28 of That Classical Podcast. Yes, indeed, you are. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about ballet, because we've mentioned it before on the podcast, but we've Mm. never really gone into much depth. So today, we're going to change that. Chris, why don't you give us the lowdown? On, on the ballet I absolutely scene. will. We're taking a deep dive in. We're learning all deep about ballet. Dive. Yeah. So at the risk of stating the obvious, mm. ballet is dancing set to music. Shocker, yeah. <laughs> I know. So the word itself has its roots in the Latin ballare, meaning to dance. Oh, wow. You know I love to mention Latin I whenever guess. I can. Yes, oh dear. And it has its origins in 15th century Italy, was the first time people were like, hey, music's good, let's choreograph some proper dances to go along with Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. And it developed into the style of performance that we know it to be nowadays uh, through the centuries uh, in France and Russia primarily, that's where we get ballet from. Right. And the thing that makes ballet ballet is that it's all encompassing and emphasising a sort of really beautiful style of dancing. Mm -hmm. And so there's certain sort of stock moves that you can do that get... Types, but there's lots of pointing with your feet <laughs> yeah. and your arms. Mm-hmm. And the evolution of it is actually really similar to the different eras of music, of classical music. So you've got classical ballet, which is sort of your your classic tutus nice. pointing out. Yeah. Uh, romantic, your tutus start getting a bit longer and a bit more swooshy. No way! It's a bit more like You can emotive. tell from the tutus. You can tell Shut from the tutus. Shut the front door. Wow. <laughs> you absolutely can. Everything becomes a bit sort of softer and more expressive Streaky. during the romantic period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you've got neoclassical ballet. This is sort of around the turn of the 20th century when everything starts to get a bit more experimental and crazy. Are there tutus at all? They even dance without tutus <laughs> oh at this point. God. And then you've got contemporary ballet, which is... A bit mental. You can do whatever you want with yeah. it now, basically. You can mm-hmm. mix and match and merge with lots of other styles. Mm-hmm. One cool thing to note about ballet is that much more so than other musical forms, it's incredibly collaborative. So a composer huh. can write a symphony by themselves. Mm. They can just lock themselves in a room right away and then <laughs> give it to an orchestra and be like, here you go, perform this. <laughs> Opera is sort of one step above that, as well as a composer, you need a librettist to write the words and the story, mm-hmm. uh, you need a director, you need actors, you need costumes, scenes, set design, all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, with a ballet, even further, you need a choreographer on yeah. board the creative team from yeah. the first day because the dancing obviously is an intrinsic quite pivotal. part. <laughs> quite, quite intrinsic to the whole thing. Yeah. So, with that brief introduction wow. to ballet in mind, yeah. uh, we're going to move straight on and talk about our very first piece today. You were just racing away. I love it. We've got no time to waste when there's ballet to be talked about, Absolutely Kelly. Absolutely not. What are we going to talk about first? Well, first, we're going to talk about what is possibly the most famous ballet of all time. Is it Swan Lake? It is Swan Lake. (laughs) Yeah, nice. So when you talk about ballet, there's two pieces that usually spring to mind. It's Swan Lake and it's Nutcracker. Yeah, absolutely. Both of which by Tchaikovsky, coincidentally. He was was pretty good at the old ballet Mm -hmm, composition. mm -hmm. He was pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So today we're talking about Swan Lake. It was written in 1875 and Tchaikovsky was super in love with it from the time he started writing it all the way through so he was so so eager to write this that he completed the whole thing start to finish in about a year which is actually really fast to write a ballet is it 
It is, yeah. I mean, I guess there's a lot going on. There's a lot to write. Was it a story before he made it? It was actually a collection of different Russian folktales, so the story would have been quite familiar to Russian audiences. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, We're actually not totally sure who the librettist is, so we don't really know who wrote his specific version of the story. And since the original Tchaikovsky production, people have sort of, like, slightly tweaked the story at the end, so sometimes they want it to be happier or sadder for example uh when i was researching this i see there was a film made called barbie of swan lake a 2003 classic Mate, i've seen it you've seen barbie i, had to, swan I used lake. to babysit kids uh and it was their favorite <laughs> film it was an absolute banger what a classic <laughs> what a classic. okay so in the original it's quite a tragic story but i believe in the barbie version it ends up with a happy ending Mate, let right? me tell you this for free it's not the barbie version you want to watch it's the swan princess the, the little-known, like, 1997 animation. Incredible. It's got the best soundtrack in the world. It is this storyline, and it does have a happy ending as well. Oh, no, there's a dragon in it. <laughs> Just, you know. Anyway, Okay, going. well, anyway, the proper Tchaikovsky version, the original one, is uh, it's a beautifully tragic love story. You know, your classic boy meets swan who is actually a princess, uh, then mistakenly says he's in love with her evil doppelganger, yeah. condemning her to be a swan, and then they all die at the end. Do they all die? Well, no. So the main two, Siegfried and Odette, who are the, the mm. prince and the mm-hmm. swan, the white swan, they, they die at the end. Sorry, spoilers, guys. Oh, no. It's very sad. But like I said, in Barbie of Swan Lake, yeah. there's a happy ending. Yeah. And so Swan Lake has become really sort of ubiquitous in popular culture. When we talk about ballet, that's what we think of. So Black Swan, that centres around Swan Lake. Yeah. Billy Elliot, famously. Billy Elliot! (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, I want to be a dancer. No. Oh, we should not do Jordan accent. Yeah. And I'm going to try and dig us out of that hole of our own creation Mm -hmm. by listening to a little bit of the beautiful Swan Lake. Let's do it. I, I just turned to Chris and went, it's very good, <laughs> as if I'd never heard it before. But do you know what? I, I don't, I rarely sit down and listen to that piece. Do you know what I mean? Cause I think, no, it's one of those ones that's just sort of seeped into yeah, the, everyone's brain. You hear it everywhere, don't yeah, you? But yeah. it's so beautiful. It's really beautiful. I also really like the the fact that Tchaikovsky chose the oboe for that, because quite often beautiful melodies like that given to clarinets or flutes or something, but I think it works. <laughs> bastards. Yeah. God damn you. But I really like the sound of the oboe on that. I think something about you it is... I've never thought about it even being an oboe. That is such a You're good, good shout, mate. Yeah, no, such a good point. And also, I've never really thought about it before either, but the way it kind of swells and goes down is almost like wings going up and down, isn't it? Ooh, the I kind like of that. imagery of that. And yeah. and if you go and see Swan Lake, which I really suggest that you do, or even just watch a few like clips of it on mm, YouTube or something... Mm. You'll see all the ballerinas going up and I'm trying, I'm doing this with my arms at the moment. You can't see. Audio medium. But they, they, they their arms going up and down and fluttering. It must be really tiring, but it, it fits with the music perfectly. Um, and one thing I do want to say about this, we should start getting a jingle for this. As was the case with so many other pieces, it had a really bad premiere. Yes, we do need a bad premiere jingle. We they really are the need best. A bad Is it jingle? worse than a cat wandering on stage and being thrown into the wings? 
<laughs> Which one was that from again? That was from the opening night of um, The Barber of Seville. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not quite as bad, but... Um, so the original ballerina who was dancing the main role of the White Swan of Odette mm. uh, was a Russian ballerina called Anna Sobeschanskaya. Uh, she was removed from the part shortly before the premiere. Basically, a government official, the premiere was in Moscow. Oh, God. And this, this official claimed that she had accepted some really expensive jewellery that he'd bought for her only then to marry a fellow dancer and sell the jewellery on and I oh that wily minx huge respect to her for just playing him perfectly that was terrible but anyway so this man was moderately powerful so she then wasn't allowed to dance so a substitute dancer came on and danced the role who A wasn't as good and who obviously hadn't prepared for it as much as the main dancer had Mm. so audiences and critics really hated it the whole thing was a little bit shambolic really so the production was bad the dancers weren't that good the choreography wasn't quite there yet the costume was bad the scenery was bad what Um, the hell I know, so it all really overshadowed Tchaikovsky's actual score for the thing, which then, at the time, people were a bit unsure about it, but then when they came back to it with a better production around it, they're like, oh yeah, no, the music's really good. But there was enough support, thankfully, after this quite disastrous premiere (laughs) for the ballet to keep being performed, and then, you know, once they ironed out the kinks with all the bad dancing (laughs) and the bad set and everything, Mm -hmm. uh, it obviously became the international smash hit it is now. Great. That classical podcast. So next, we're going to talk about La Fille Mal Gardée, which Ooh. means the poorly guarded girl, um, if you want a translation of the French. And in English, it's often referred to as the wayward daughter. Okay, that um, makes more sense rather than yeah, the poorly, the poorly guarded, guarded or like girl. Or sometimes it's like the girl that needs guarding, things Ooh. like that. So basically, the origins of this ballet are a little bit ridiculous and complicated, but here we go. All right. So originally... It was the creation of this guy called Jean d'Auberval in the 1700s, like late 1700s, mm-hmm. who was a really famous French choreographer uh, who apparently had seen in some shop somewhere an engraving of a bedraggled girl being totally berated by an old woman in a hay barn oh, while no. her lover scurries up the stairs. <laughs> okay. And he was like, this is ripe for a ballet. Am I right? Am I right? So he, he made it. He made it into All a right. ballet, but okay. he wasn't a composer. So he didn't write hey, the music. Right. But let me tell you this for free. At the time... Ballets were quite often just collections of pieces based on popular songs and dances and even operas of the time. So you'd get, you know, someone would basically arrange like an aria from an opera for an orchestra or whatever. Okay, and And then it would be sort of like a compilation of different dances and pieces that everyone knew already. Right. Uh, So basically, uh. as of 1789, La Fille Malgardée was just an arrangement of like... 55 popular bits and pieces. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So, like a jukebox musical now when yes. they do, like, <laughs> yes, Frankie exactly. Valley and the Four Seasons. But it's it's annoying because none of the surviving bits of manuscript even mention one composer. Oh, no. So we really, we just haven't got a clue. Um, but things changed in 1828. So this was, like, 40 years later. Sure, sure. They wanted to revive it. So a dude called Ferdinand Herald made an adaptation of the original score. And then... Really strong name. Yeah. Ferdinand Herald. But then in 1864, so like 36 years later or something, uh, it was being revived again in Berlin and a dude called Peter Ludwig Hertel <laughs> made a name. totally new score. And it was uh, this score by Hertel that was the basis 
of La Fille Malgardée for like many, many decades I mean, afterwards. Arguably, is it a revival if you write completely new music for it? I guess so. <laughs> uh, but it's like, I think it was less like writing completely new music and more like riffing off the old music. So, yeah, but interestingly, the Royal Ballet have been using the 1828 Herald score since the 1960s. Basically, everyone just does what they want. Okay. Are we good? Okay. okay. But, but basically, there's not one dude who composed La Fille Mercardé. That's okay. all. And there's also not one definitive version no, of this. No, absolutely Right, not. got it, got just it. Just live your truth, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but let's talk about the story. So basically, to sum it up, it's about these two lovers called uh, Lise and Cola. They want to marry each other, right? But mm-hmm. Lise's mother, Simone, who's a widow, and who's always played by a man, by the way. Okay. In like, traditionally, it's a, a dude in drag. Widow twanky sort of right, thing. Right, sure, right. It, so the widow uh, wants Lise to marry this really stupid, but like minted guy called Alain, <laughs> and has arranged that with Alain's dad. Okay. And then the widow uh, does her best to keep Lise and Cola apart, but it's basically like totally unsuccessful. <gasps> Love conquers all, and Alain ends up with his umbrella. Oh, with his umbrella? Yeah, like, love of his life is his umbrella. It's weird. Okay. You've got to watch it. Absolutely. That's why, so the, Lisa is the girl who is poorly guarded, and she's like, yes, no, I'm sneaking exactly. away so from the hay barn. That's exactly right. Lise is la fille mal gardée. There got you go. Got it. Anyway, so today, we're going to listen to the clog dance, oh which happens when, <laughs> shut up, which happens when Simone and Lise, so the widow and her daughter, are taken to lunch by Alain. The mm-hmm. rich dude and mm-hmm. his dad. Uh, and everyone's having a dance uh, around a maypole and someone gets some clogs out <laughs> and they're all like, Simone, Simone, get your clogs out for the lads, 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 lads. Uh, and they're, literally, they're like really urging her to put these clogs on. And she does. Okay. And she does the most ridiculous dance you've ever seen. Like It is absurd. And the cl- like the kind of clicks and clacks you hear in this piece we're about to play, that in the, in the ballet, that's her clicking her clogs together. Amazing. Let's just absolutely smash it right I now. I can't wait to Here listen. it is. was silly <laughs> it's very very silly um i also just showed chris uh, a clip of it and he was absolutely appalled but you must must go on youtube type in the clog dance well we'll post it on our socials yeah, and stuff yeah. but you must like it's ridiculous it's a royal it's so ballet silly. <laughs> it's just so funny though you know it's like ballet doesn't always have to be this like really serious thing it can just be incredibly bizarre can and be. funny but I also have like various memories to do with this piece one of them is always it's always on The Apprentice is it? yeah they always use the clog dance on The Apprentice <laughs> when like the, the um, applicants are being really dumb about when they're something, doing like a like really a bad job of a task <laughs> thing um and the other memory i have is because this was the first ballet i ever ever saw and i was Ah. seven years old 
And my mum took me to the Royal Opera House for the first time and it was just amazing. And you know what I would say? If you have little kids and you kind of want to take them to the ballet but you're not really sure what to see and it's not Christmas so you can't take them to the (laughs) Nutcracker, go and take them to La Female Gaudet. I think it's a really fun and friendly ballet, especially for children. It's got the most beautiful dancers in it. Like the clog dancers are hilarious but there's also this amazing dance with ribbons between um, Lise and Cola. Very nice. And like that is my number one recommendation. Good go recommendation. Go see it with the fam, lads. It doesn't have to be at the opera house, just go anywhere. But it's it's brilliant. So wonderful stuff. Go and have a listen. That classical podcast. Next up, we're talking about another piece that I love very, very much. Oh yes. And it is by our old pal Igor Stravinsky. Strav! Strav. But it's Strav. Lovely bit of Strav. Yeah. Uh, and it's called Firebird. <laughs> yes. So this is a ballet from 1910. Mm-hmm. And it was, before I get into talking about the ballet, I feel yeah. I ought to explain a bit around it. So you remember, I imagine, we've mentioned a guy called Sergei Diaghilev quite yes, a lot indeed. of times, mm-hmm. haven't we? Mm-hmm. So Sergei Diaghilev was this Russian impresario, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. He was someone who just like made stuff happen artistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a concert promoter and was just involved in the art scene in Russia. This incredibly formidable guy was known to be terrifying, could sort of shoot you down with one look. Oh, I bet. Like a really hard taskmaster, yeah. but then also really kind. So I think he was down to his last few pennies because he got in loads of debt doing all these artistic stuff, of right. course, but would still help out a company member with, like, medical expenses for Aww, their child and stuff. So nice. he was sort of heart of gold beneath a really with tough an iron exterior. Fist. Yeah. yeah nice. um, kind of my hero, I think. Just He okay. made so much cool stuff happen mm-hmm. uh, just through sheer iron force of will and also quite a lot of money, but mainly through <laughs> well, force of will. Right. So, as I said, he was this promoter of Russian culture within Russia. Then in 1907, he brought... Uh, a series of five concerts of Russian music to Paris and it was a smash hit basically it went off really really well so the next year Mm -hmm. he came back uh, and did in 1908 an opera at the Paris Opera this again was an even huger success Mm. and led to the formation of the Ballet Russe so the Russian ballets got you and this was a company that he founded that was hugely innovative basically got everyone creative and cool Mm -hmm. in Paris at that time to work together and make amazing stuff. Mm. So I was reading up on who actually worked within the Ballet Russe and who they got on board. Mm -hmm. And it's insane. So for their set design, they got artists like uh, Vasily Kandinsky, Picasso, Matisse. Yeah, yeah, they did loads of ballet stuff. Yeah, Yeah. like real life proper artists. They got Coco Chanel to be a costume designer. Oh, baby. Um, The dancers were people like Anna Pavlova and Vaslav Nijinsky. Wow. So even the ballet dancers who we've heard of to this day were the ones who were around there. And then in terms of the composers, it's ridiculous. So you had Prokofiev, Debussy, Borodin, Mitsuki Korsakov, Tchaikovsky, Ravel, and of course, Igor Stravinsky, who was a really frequent collaborator with uh, old Mr. Diaghilev. Mm -hmm. So really sort of unprecedented in terms of getting so many cultural movers and shakers all to work together on the same project. That is amazing. And create new stuff as well, rather than put on stagings of old ballets. Mm. So that's why we... In fact, the reason why we've mentioned uh, old Sergei Diaghilev and the Ballet Russe so often on this podcast is because so much of the really innovative, cool, exciting music that was coming out of not just France, but actually all of Europe mm. came from 
Paris from about 1909 to 1929, (laughs) which is when uh, Diaghilev died in 1929, just because he was so instrumental in getting so much really, really exciting stuff to happen. Mm. So today, as (laughs) giving you some of that background, uh, Stravinsky was a really frequent collaborator with Diaghilev and their Ballet Russe, Mm -hmm. and Firebird was the first thing he did together with them. And today we're going to listen to an extract from the ballet, which is towards the end of it. Uh, it's called the Danse Infernale, the Infernal Dance. Ooh, okay. It's very exciting. So just to give you a bit of context of what's Please going do. on yes. in the ballet, mm-hmm. in the story, mm. we've got our hero, uh, a guy named Prince Ivan Sarovich. Oh, yes. And our baddie is an evil sorcerer called Koshche, I think, I believe it's pronounced. I'll take it. And so, <laughs> in a not terribly feminist way, old Koshche has taken 13 princesses hostage. He's kidnapped. 13? Th- I know, greedy. It's like adventure time. <laughs> Do you I've watch never, Adventure I've Time? Never watched Adventure no worries. Time. Fans, tweet us. So our hero, Prince Ivan, falls in love with one of them. Right. As far as I know, she doesn't get a name. She's just the one that he falls in love with. It's like, cool, all right, you're <laughs> just there. You're the one. And so Ivan is, uh, he's owed a favour from the Firebird. So the Firebird, he captured the Firebird earlier on in the ballet and was about to kill her. Uh, she begs for her life, so he spares her life, and then she gives him an enchanted feather to summon her when he's in dire need. Right. So, again, Prince Ivan, not not like a top bloke, maybe. <laughs> he's like, oh, right. well done, you didn't murder this incredibly magical creature. Well done, mate. Anyway, Firebird is on Prince Ivan's side, right. says, here's your magic feather, gives a shout when you need a hand. Yeah. Prince Ivan is coming to rescue all these hostage princesses. Right. Okay? Yeah. And... Koshche, the evil sorcerer, has sent all his minions and his monsters out to attack. So, Ivan is like, right, time to get the uh, the hired guns on board. Right. Summons the firebird with his magic feather. Right. And so this firebird arrives, enchants all of the, the monsters yeah. uh, by making them dance wildly, do this infernal dance. Classic move. And then they all fall asleep. Got it. Okay? So, that's where we are in the story. Yeah. Let's listen to the infernal dance. yourself dancing in front I do I have to say like Stravinsky is amazing mm. at invoking those kinds of feelings those what like sort of like feeling? frenzied like it, it obviously it reminds me of the Rite of Spring because Stravinsky wrote the Rite of Spring sure, sure. but you know that kind of like ha 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 whoa what's going on like that that kind of like feeling I sense that here too yeah, he's good at the old <laughs> frenzied stuff, saying? absolutely. Um, Stravinsky, funny enough, actually uh, was only selected to compose this by Diaghilev after a couple of big dog Russian composers had already turned it down. Really? So there were a couple of ones that Diaghilev was like, hey, Joe, I've got this, got this thing that I want writing. Mm. I think Stravinsky was third choice or something, so he was 28 oh 
God. Yeah, he was only 28 when he got the call to do this. And he got it off the back of some orchestral work mm. he'd done, some compositions that had had like moderate success, but not massive. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he went on after this to do Petrushka and, of course, Rite of Spring yeah. with the Ballet Russe after mm-hmm. this. Uh, but this was really his big break with Diaghilev and all of Paris. Nice one. Yeah, I love it. The rest of the ballet is really uh, phenomenal. It's, again, it's not a super long one. Mm. It, it's just really good. If you like Stravinsky, this is sort of pure Stravinsky. Mm. Really, really good stuff. That classical podcast. Next, it's La Revue de Cuisine, or The Kitchen Review. Right. Yes, you heard me correctly. And it's by Boslav Martinou. Again, I'm sorry for any crap pronunciation, guys. But look, Martinou. this is the perfect example. I wanted to convey that ballet doesn't have to be some grand affair. As we know from La Fille Mergardé, sometimes composers want silliness. They want fun in their ballets. And let me tell you this, if you want fun and silliness, this is the ballet for you. Okay, so um, it's, a, it's a review of a kitchen. Oh, I'll get there. Oh my God. I'll get there. So let's talk about Martinou just very quickly. He, We actually haven't mentioned him once, I don't think, on the no, podcast before. But he was a Czech composer. We'll definitely cover him in mm. another episode for sure. He was born in 1890 and he wrote a buttload of operas and ballets, actually. But in terms of this one... He had just moved to Paris, October 1923. He was absorbing all these new musical styles. He was enjoying loads of new influences and really massively getting into jazz. Jazz, baby, jazz. Jazz. <laughs> like jazz. And La Revue de Cuisine was his first kind of jazz ballet. Um, although it's obviously still got a ton of classical elements okay, sure, as sure. well. But he wrote this in 1927, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't actually his idea. It mm-hmm. was based on an idea by a famous dancer uh, and choreographer called Yamila Koshlova. Mm-hmm. Um, great accent. Uh, <laughs> who, um, and it was originally called Temptation of the Saintly Pot. <laughs> okay. Right, okay. All right. Without further ado... Here's the storyline. Hold on to your britches, everyone, is all oh I'll say. God. Basically. Is this going to be another Harlock classic? Just wait. Weird plot. Just do oh, it. Right, okay. It's like a ridiculous Shakespearean love triangle between newlyweds Pot and Lid. Of course. And a wily minx called Twirling Stick, who I think is a whisk. <laughs> okay. Who's determined to break up their marriage. <gasps> okay, this is all true. So, right. Twirling Stick, a.k.a. Whisk, seduces Pot and they get off with each other. Meanwhile, Lid... How? Lid... I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't want to think about it. Um, Lid is getting um, bedroomized from dishcloth um, <laughs> and then is challenged to a duel by broom. So Lid is challenged to a duel by broom. He's just turned up. But okay. then Pot, who's made out with Twirling Stick, a.k.a. Whisk, right. gets bored of Twirling Stick and longs for Lid's sweet non-stick embrace. <laughs> but Lid has gone missing, right? But then suddenly an enormous foot, yes, a foot appears from the wings. That's not a kitchen and implement. kicks Lid back onto the stage. <laughs> then Pot and Lid get back together and Twirling Stick, a.k.a. Whisk, is like, eh? And elopes with dishcloth. That this sounds amazing. That is the storyline. And I think it can be a warning to us all. If you're feeling lonely, don't go anywhere near your Whisk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> She's she's up Mr. for it. Steal your whisk. Um, yeah, um, right, that's, so, that's the kind of story. Like it would be fine if it was done with humans. I just don't right. really get why. Yeah, I don't want to imagine it. I mean, clearly this is not a man taking himself too seriously. Sure. All right. Um, and uh, you know, aside from the story, like the jazz elements of it actually do make it really fun. Okay, nice. and funny. 
So it's the ballet is in 10 movements, but we're going to listen to the sweet version, which is actually just four. Okay. And here is the romantic tango. Let's all imagine pot and whisk. Make it out. intended there definitely was a pun intended <laughs> the steamer was watching um <laughs> no i just think that's really nice isn't it i, I just think it sounds great i mean the storyline is bonkers but it's kind of cool isn't it's it it's quite cool and discordant i know what you're saying about the um the the jazz influences they're really yeah. clear there and i i i just realized in this moment it almost reminds me of gershwin a little bit it does yeah with the sort of the piano taking a lot more of a yeah ensemble role rather than a solo role yeah. but also being really present in the orchestral texture cool, that's quite right? new for the sort of mid to late 20s yeah, yeah so listeners you can hopefully hear that jazz influence in there there's also a charleston which is really super cool <laughs> as well but interestingly so martinu also admitted that the whole ballet was basically just a response to a bunch of critics who said his other ballets were like a bit much oh, in right. like musically and otherwise so i guess so he, like oh so you want a light-hearted one yeah, do you he was like, fine, I'll make a Charleston with pots who want to have sex with each other. <laughs> That's what I'll do. And That'll did. show you all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, lads, that is La Revue de Cuisine. I hope you enjoyed it. The other parts of it are brilliant. Go and listen to the whole 10, ten movement version. It is great. And um, I don't know if it's family friendly, really, but... It sounds I, very not safe for work. Be, yeah. but do check it out. Bad Classical Podcast. So that was our episode on the ballet. The ballet. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learnt about some ballets you'd never heard of before. I learned a lot about weird Whisks. copulating <laughs> kitchen utensils. Yes. I feel like Billy Elliot chose the wrong ballet for the I mean, absolutely, film. yes. Uh, if you also <laughs> think Billy Elliot chose the wrong ballet to do, uh, please contact us at where, Chris? Well, you can find us on pretty much all the social medias. We're on Twitter. We're at That Classical. You yes. can find us on Instagram. We're at That Classical Insta. Uh, we're on Facebook. Just search for That Classical Podcast. Do it. Uh, you can email us. We're thatclassicalemail at gmail.com. We're on Spotify. You can just Google <laughs> That Classical Podcast and you get a beautiful playlist with every piece we ever talk about in any of our shows. Beautiful. But if none of that floats your boat and you just want something simple, quick and easy like a ready meal, just go to <laughs> thatclassicalpodcast.com Everything's on there. And everything's on there. And we have our little glossary on there as well. If, you, um, if you're if you wondering what a certain word means that we've said, go on there and it's probably on there. If yeah. you want us to include any words, please do tell us. Let us know and we'll, we'll whack it up there. a no-nonsense definition Absolutely. up for you. Also, we'd love it if you could give us a little cheeky five-star review on iTunes. We really appreciate it when we hear from you guys on there. But otherwise, guys, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye